Oh, snap. Yeah. Holy. I can't believe I'm just learning about this. Yes. I can't believe I didn't get picks. Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I am joined, as always, by Sylvie Lubau. Sylvie, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm regretting. I changed the the arrangement in my living room, and I'm regretting where my table is for talking too loud based on the video recording. That's okay. Just arrange it again. That's what you love to do. You love to <laughs> rearrange. You love to I move. Think I've you had... love to have neighbors who make a lot of noise. You like street sounds. You love Brooklyn. This is what defines you. All those things. Yes. You know me. Um, I sure do. I also know our guest today, Amy Sperling, who is the founder and CEO of Compt. Compt is HR software focused on employee benefits and perks. And it's pretty cool. Um, they allow your team to personalize their own benefits. So it's a cool product. Amy is a great founder. I'm really excited that she came on the show. And it was fun to like dig into all of this. And I'm excited for you all to hear this interview just in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but first, what's got you talking too loud, Sylvie? Oh, man. I've been talking too loud about a lot these days. As you know, I never made it to Portugal. Mm, yes, that was very sad, wasn't it? A PSA for everyone. Check your passport expiration date. It has to be valid three months from your departure date. Okay? So actually just, do this, I would say. Like, actually, actually do this. I almost ran into an issue earlier this year, and I barely got by by the skin of my teeth, but you did not. I you didn't. <laughs> I, yes. I went to Cabo instead, so it wasn't a total wash, and got to have a nice sister trip. Okay. And um, the thing that I was talking too loud about the most after that trip was we saw some... <laughs> Sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> Whatever this is, it's going to be good. It's Sophie's not. lost it's, it over here. She's just completely a mess. It's not. I'm just remembering there was one day in particular that was, it was just, well, we saw some long-spined porcupine fish, which I've never seen before. They're very okay. interesting looking. Okay. But the the big thing was, so we couldn't swim in the ocean right by our hotel. The current is like too crazy. And mm. so we went to this separate area, a bay where you can swim. This mm -hmm. is now like a very convoluted story. Let me just it's start again. It's about swimming though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's about swimming. It's a story about swimming. <laughs> so we love it. Yeah. So basically we went to the tamer, <laughs> the tamer part of... I can't even say it. <laughs> I don't know why it's making me laugh because it wasn't actually. <laughs> it was really scary. We went to the tamer section. <laughs> we were in like, I mean, truly like bathtub depth of water, but we felt like we, we got caught in a wave and it was, it was harrowing and it was just crazy that it could happen. Like, what do you it, mean? You were in water that was like two feet deep or something and like a wave came and then like <laughs> yeah. you thought you're going to be washed out to sea. Is that what happened? None of this can be in there. This has to stay in. I, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, having a laugh. I'm going to put my foot down on this. This, this okay. must stay in. Let this me is try the, to be clear. This is the best let content me, we've ever let had. Let me try to be clear. Yeah. Yes. You, you're what you said is accurate, that we were in very okay. shallow water 
it wasn't that we thought we were going to be swept away. It was like we couldn't get out from under the wave. Like it was just like the wave crashed on you. Yes, and then, and you then were like, like it an, kept kind came. of like washing oh, machine. Okay, that's scary. It was really. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. I mean, I've I have never been in that scenario in a foot of water, but I've been in that scenario with more water, and it's not fun. Yeah. Well. I butchered that whole story. I could tell it way better another time. But instead, how oh, about... Oh, we got it. Instead, <laughs> instead, tell me <laughs> what's got you talking too loud. What's got me talking too loud is that last weekend, I went up to Montreal for the F1 Grand Prix. And I have a friend who works for Aston Martin Formula One. And oh so you must have been in heaven. I was in heaven, like, you know, in the paddock, like, you know, down, like in the garage when the drivers were getting in their cars, like it was utterly insane. It was amazing. I mean, I got into F1 because of Drive to Survive, which is why a lot of people got into F1, which is a Netflix series showing the behind the scenes of F1. And really, like, it's like showing you the drivers and their stories. So then when I'm there and I'm in the garage and I see you know, Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll, and they're like five feet away from me and they're getting in their cars and they're adjusting things and their engineers are doing stuff. I was like, I can't believe that this is happening. But I saw right when they were getting in their cars before qualifying and they each had a separate issue that their engineers fixed in real time. Oh and seeing that happen and seeing them like pull this stuff off the car and you know, drive the holes and and greasing and then like put on, they just like peel out and then suddenly they're going like, you know, 300 kilometers an hour, like over 200 miles an hour. You're just like, it's, it's insane. Um, you know me, I love learning behind the scenes of how a team is performing. And that is like one of the things that gets me like really jazzed and seeing that with Aston Martin, I mean, you know, a team that was like previously, like last year, kind of in middle of the pack and now is at the top. Like they came in second in the race was just like so fun. Um, so yeah, it was, it, that's what I'm talking to you a lot about right now. Amazing. I'm so glad you went. That's yeah, so cool. It was super cool. Uh, but speaking of how you get teams performing at their highest level, what it's like to transition from being a CFO to being a CEO and a little bit behind the scenes of a benefits platform that's changing how personalized benefits can work for teams at scale and remotely and all of that. Let's jump into this interview with the CEO of Compt, Amy Sperling. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with us and talking to us. Thanks so much. Excited to be here. We're very excited to have you. Um, and as you know, Talking Too Loud is a show. It's called Talking Too Loud because when I get excited, I cannot control the volume of my voice. Um, this is a real thing. It is still a thing. I am constantly told I am too loud, but that's just how it is. Uh, but we love to start the show by asking our guests, like, what has them talking too loud? What has them excited right now? So what has you talking to it? What has you excited? To me, so one of the things that I'm actually, I'm going to spend my afternoon doing is over at the Mass State House. We've got some legislation that's in process that I'm pretty excited about and has me very, very loud. Wow. Uh, Massachusetts is 46th in the country for female founders. Pretty abysmal wow. statistic. That's crazy. Uh, and so there's some legislation that has been in the works for a couple of years where, you know, we're trying to help level the playing field in a way that, you know, gives more access but also uh, does it in a way that works with the way laws are already written. Um, so not reinventing the wheel. 
That's, I mean, I had no idea that it was that bad. That's horrible. It's horrible. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really bad. So can you go a little bit deeper? Like what's, sure. what's in this legislation? Like what should people be aware of? So one of the really cool things about the way it's evolved, I mean, this has, again, been in the process for years. I've learned so much about the legislative process where it could literally take a decade to get legislation passed, which is, you know, startup mindset. I, know, I don't work in very, decades. Yes. I work in like months. <laughs> uh, so a little frustrating, but the new version uh, that I think is very exciting kind of mirrors fair lending laws. So there's a lot of laws on the books already for the banking industry to make sure that they're not discriminatory in how they give loans, how they evaluate who gets loans, mortgages, things like that. Applying some of that same regulation to venture is actually quite, it makes a lot of sense because it's access to capital is how you get funding. Um, and there should be some criteria. And so it's, it's, kind of walking a middle ground, but pulling from laws that are already in place that have been for a very long time. Interesting. So is that kind of like the venture capital firms would have to open up and like a look at their who their prospects are and how they work through the funnel and all those types of things? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Transparency. Yes, exactly. I mean, it is pretty transparent. Nobody's getting money. Like that's pretty transparent right now. So yeah, but we don't you know, know where the bottlenecks yeah. are or if they exactly look, exactly like which i mean you hear phase. it's a pipeline yeah. problem there's not enough female founders women start 50 percent of the businesses out there but only two percent of funding it's actually 1.9 percent of funding wow. nationally goes to female yeah. founders and it gets worse as you go into certain states and so wow. it's a huge economic issue for our entire totally. country like the yeah. fact that these founders are not getting funded means that we're missing out on all this economic opportunity as a country, which is just mind boggling because all the stats show female founders tend to be more capital efficient, tend to build more repeatable businesses, you know, build better products, all the things, the more diverse teams perform better. So let's do the things that help make everybody more money. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, even if it was exactly the same, it would be a huge problem. It's like a huge right. waste of education and time and effort and businesses that are different right. types of businesses potentially that people are right. starting like the argument is like obviously extremely strong to to amend this i mean those numbers are bad though that is that is a wild yeah. it's it's pretty crazy i believe alabama is ahead of massachusetts in funding female founders it's particularly sad because there's so much funding in right. massachusetts right. like that's, well, that's that makes it yeah. even more sad well i'm glad you're going to the state house that's so I'm that's excited good. for that that's, yeah. <laughs> that's got me being very, very loud. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of female founders, you're the founder and CEO of Compt. Can you tell us for people who don't know, what is Compt? What do you do? And who is it for? Sure. So Compt is employee perk reimbursement software, employee lifestyle benefit software, where companies take a look at the slice of the compensation stack that really makes them competitive and makes it accessible to everyone. So I started this because I was a CFO and on the buying side for this software for so many years. And I, I just had a string of very unhappy people, employees coming through my office wanting something different and I didn't have software that worked. So decided to build a platform to make everyone and myself very happy. <laughs> so you must have seen a pretty big problem. Yeah. To switch roles and to start a company like this. Can you yeah. go like, can sure. you bring us into that? And like, you know, what kind of stuff were people asking for that they couldn't get? And like, where did you see the gap in the opportunity? So I had never planned on being a founder. There's some startup founders that are like, have 20,000 ideas and it's how do I build the right thing? That was never me. I loved being a CFO, a COO, operationalizing somebody else's vision. And also the pattern of what I saw as 
you know, a founder was a very specific archetype. What I realized, though, was that all of my companies, I was managing finance and HR. And the problem that I kept seeing was how we compensated people and how that had shifted over time. When I started my career, people negotiated for salaries and that was the big deal. And, you know, sit there, be happy you have a job. Things that are just non-existent anymore. Uh, it's much more of a candidate's market and has been for a long time. So salary became table stakes. Health insurance has become table stakes in certain industries. And now you've got, all right, so how do I compete for talent? And that became around employee perks, you know, when times were good and there was lots of money. Uh, and there was an app for everything and everybody's selling to HR. Hey, I can sell to all your yeah. team, this amazing new whatever product. Um, and so I was buying some of that stuff because you have to have it to compete for talent. But reality is that anything you bring in is being used by maybe three to 5% of the team. And so people would come through the door and say, hey, I would love to be sponsored for an Alzheimer's walk I'm going to go do. That's really important to me. I would like the company to do that. And the answer was always no for me, which was really frustrating. Like, that's fantastic. And personally, I very much support that. But if we give you money for that, then I have to give money to every other person who has a charity. And then I have to vet which charities. And then that's our entire budget. And not everyone cares about charities. And so all I said was no. And I was a very, very grumpy person, as some people from my prior companies can probably attest to. Because I'm like, you want good things and I can yeah. give you none of this. And so I wanted to build a platform where I could say yes to people and allow people to be treated like adults and manage that portion of their compensation in a way that mattered to them without me having to be like team mom, which is ridiculous, and decide, oh, what is going to make everyone happy? Like, that's not a thing. So basically you're saying like, which I've, we've had this exact same issue, which is like, mm -hmm. hey, can't you just sponsor me on this thing? It's like, yep. exactly as you said, well, if we did yep. that for everybody, and like not everyone's gonna yep. care about everything. We've tried, you know, all, all of that. Um, you saw that you've decided to kind of like, the new model that you see is a world where it's more transparent to the employee that you're getting these yep. benefits and they are allocating them the How way they that they want to. And so it's Correct. all about yes versus no. Exactly. It's, it's leading with yes. Because ultimately, as an employer, what I want is I want happy people, I want them super engaged, and I want them retained. And so that's what matters to me. How yeah. we get there, there's a lot of flexibility. Now, different companies want to focus on different things. Wellness stipends are by far the most common use case that companies want to put out there. They want their team to be healthy, which is great. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. But what healthy is for each person is very different. Like I think about mental health apps. I am a very big proponent, obviously, for our team and for myself and making sure that people have access to mental health, you know, things that can help them. But should I be determining what that process looks like for my team? No. Like terrifying. Like that is just a very, very bad plan versus letting them work with their professionals and determining what works best for them. It could be a meditation app, but it may also be, you know, maybe it's acupuncture. Maybe it's going for a walk and they need shoes for that. Maybe it's actually going to the gym or going for a run. Like there's a lot of things that can impact somebody's mental health. I don't want to be in charge of that. What I want to say is we support it. Here you go. Go do the things that matter to you. And in this world, the, I assume that the employee can see the value of these benefits and yeah, allocate there's them. there's no and points. That's, yeah, I don't which do is point like, system. That's currency conversion. Yeah, like, okay. don't make employees. They're going to figure out, oh, I okay. got three points. I can use it for this thing. They're doing the currency got conversion it. anyways. Just be transparent about it. Okay, cool. Is there a downside to that where people can see like, hey, this might have felt like a big benefit, but actually it's not? 
I mean, we haven't seen that. Um, what we've seen is that it's it's honestly gone the other direction where, so normal utilization, if you have individual perks, is 3 to 5% per perk. Mm-hmm. If you go with a marketplace approach, you know, that has some vendors they can choose from, you usually get 30 to 40% utilization. What we've seen now for over four years is 91% utilization wow. on our platform. that's amazing. So 91% of people on our platform are using their stipends. So you just see very happy, very engaged people. And we actually just did a survey across just our users and said, all right, how likely are you to stay at your company because of this benefit? And 65% of the employees said, I am more likely to stay at my company because they have this type of a benefit for me. Well, I mean, that's great. That's incredible. It's pretty You must powerful. feel really good. I mean, that's like you have this new model. It's working. Doing the thing. Like, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's more, it seems like it's more than doing the thing. It seems like it's, it's like a totally new way of doing this. It is. And it makes me happy because we can say yes. I don't have to say no to my team who wants to use their wellness stipend, for instance, in very different ways. It's just like, okay, you're all adults, do things that relate to wellness. You know, cool, go do that. I don't want to be in charge of it. That is super cool. Let's talk about uh, the shift to remote and Mm -hmm. also return to office. Like, are you seeing big changes when you look across your customer base in terms of the types of benefits that people want now or what's being valued? Like, what insight would you give to... Uh, employees and employers, like what should people be looking for and what should employers be thinking about giving to their team in this, like in this moment today? I mean, the biggest battle is, are you doing return to office? I mean, there's no amount of a commuter stipend that's going to make someone happy to sit in a car for three hours a day. So you have to fight the first battle of, are we going to force a return to office restrict our hiring pool to just within a circumference, you know, around that city where people can drive to. And is that our strategy? Because that's a very specific strategy. Or are you going to stay fully remote? Um, And depending on where companies land on that, which different products you have to be in person, I get that. Uh, It determines kind of what we see companies doing. Most companies are still focused on wellness because that'll include mental health, that may include financial wellness, you know, things that impact an employee's wellness and their well-being is going to improve and impact their productivity. So that's by far the biggest use case. For companies that are fully remote, though, they're also using stipends as a way to manage that. You don't want to be procurement. You know, I'm working out of my condo. This is my office. And so do I want to have six desks waiting in the corner for me to drop ship to new hires? Nope. Ain't got space for that. (laughs) So having a stipend where people can go and buy the desk that fits in their house makes it a lot easier as well. So fully remote companies tend to use this a little differently than in office companies. And then do you have insight into even that? That's a really interesting thing in general that Mm -hmm. just made me think about, which is like, how important is it that you should be giving folks desks? Like, is that something that people should be doing? Should it just be like, you know, a, uh, a cash bonus when you start, that's like your remote working thing or like, are you able to see how the next layer of like how people are spending their dollars to help inform folks of like, Hey, you're missing out on this opportunity. Like, what are you seeing there? Sure. So we see most companies are giving a certain amount of money for the first 90 days of hire. It's not ever at this point, most people have a desk or a chair, but you may need a refresh. You may need a new monitor or a mouse or maybe a new chair, but you probably don't need a brand new desk. You know, we're three and a half years into this, you know, fully working remote. So we've seen the amount that people are given as they're hired come down. At the beginning of the pandemic, it was around $1,500. Now I'm seeing new hires get more like 500. And then there'll be a refresh piece, 
you know, every year, because chances are at some point your chair is going to need to be replaced. And so giving a couple hundred dollars a year so that people can get refresh items or a new headset or a new whatever they need. Um, and so that has changed as more and more people have that remote work set up, uh, which gets very interesting. It's not a cash bonus because not everyone needs something. It's you can have this if you're going to use it for the things that this relates to. And then it doesn't have to be taxed either, which is great. That's cool. And it's interesting. I mean, like, do, so I'm also wondering, like, is there something you're seeing now that you think we should be getting ready for in like two years? Like, mm -hmm. is there something that's like, hey, this is going to be something that everyone wants or definitely don't do X, Y, Z? Like, what should I think about for the next two years of hiring or, or employing my team? I mean, for me, it's still about the focus on remote. I still think that is going to be the biggest driver. That's a big battle right now as so many companies, especially with real estate footprints, are trying to force the return to office. But it limits your hiring pool. And I think the companies that stay distributed are going to have a, a much better competitive advantage because you can get people with different backgrounds, different mindsets from all over the place, which I think is really powerful. If you're fully in office, you can edit this out. <laughs> um, no, we're not. But no, no. <laughs> Yeah. So I do think that's the big like, piece. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoops. I just set off a little grenade. <laughs> but the other thing and, and thinking about that as well, though, is is how you support your team. And I still believe, I mean, personalization is where it's at. Stop dictating to your team what wellness or family or remote work means and what they need. Let people be adults within this sandbox you create and allow them to personalize for themselves. And we've seen some really interesting, really powerful data come from this. You know, one of the competitive ways you could approach what we're doing is with these marketplaces. It's usually 20 to 30 different companies they could purchase something from. It feels sort of personalized, but usually gets much lower utilization. When you remove that, what you find is that people tend to buy local. So all that money you're investing in your team is then being invested in the communities where they live, which is then supporting them from the bottom up rather than having to go to big box stores where that revenue is going to Wall Street. And so it's just a very different ecosystem you create by allowing for that level of personalization, which is pretty impactful and pretty exciting. And I mean, it also should be said that it's stressful to make those decisions for everybody. 100%. You're going to get it wrong 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah. There's one person who wants the thing that came to your mind. That's it. <laughs> exactly. We give everybody something and then they're like, actually, like 20% of people are like, I don't want this or I don't believe in it or right. whatever. And it's like, right. mm -hmm. I think that's also why a lot of bigger organizations, they have trouble doing more unique things because right. that's classic exactly. fear of like turning, right. turning folks off. Well, and on top of that, it just doesn't scale. So as an example, we we took a sample of our team or of our employee users. We've looked at 8,700 people and watched them for a year. We've got this amazing utilization. So we're like, how many different unique vendors, since we have no vendors on the platform and it's all personalization, how many unique vendors do these people use in a yeah. year's time? Because that's what you'd have to replicate internally. Yeah. Guess how many different vendors they used in that period of time? Unique per vendors. person? Or like per person or in aggregate. Oh my God. 20? <laughs> I don't know. So total was 27,000 different vendors. On average, each person's using three unique vendors though. Okay. Okay. Wow. So you'd have to, for each person, find three things every person on your team wants. Like nobody can do that. That's not a thing. And what they want is going to change three months later. Of course. So yeah, it's just, it's going to be moving. You need a different thing at work. You need a different thing yeah. in life. You need a different or, thing. Yeah. It's like, got, yeah. 
We had one woman on our team early on, like she started out, she was, you know, using her stipend for road races and entry fees, and then she got pregnant and shifted to prenatal vitamins and Lamaze, and then she had the baby and transitioned back. Like it followed her journey and I did nothing. I had to literally do nothing. Like it was amazing for me to be able to support her and also not be involved in her decision-making process. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah, I love this. I mean, I had no idea this is exactly what you do. And it's like really cool to be hearing about it. Cause like when you're talking, I just keep thinking about these like stressful decisions that people right. come to me with They're like, should we use this? Ah, I don't know. And then it's like, Oh, well, like this is slightly different than before. And some people love the thing before and some people hate right. it. And it's like, so it's very you're gonna cool. have mutiny. Everything like you pull out, you're going to have mutiny. There was yeah. a, a company in Boston. I was talking to the CEO. I won't name names because I don't know. Oh, you can just, it. we'll just bleep it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's great. But he was, so a company got very big in the recruiting space in Boston. And he walked through his office, this was before the pandemic, and noticed that like nobody was eating the bagels that were being brought in on Friday because some of the team was gluten-free or they didn't want bagels or whatever the thing, right? And he's like, well, this is stupid. I'm wasting money. And he pulled it away. Within 24 hours, there were reviews on Glassdoor saying the company must be going under. I can't believe they took this away. Like he had it memorized. It was traumatizing for him where he's like, oh, my God, all I did was like pull away stupid bagel Fridays where they were stale bagels anyways. But there's always some portion of the team that loves that specific thing. And so instead of trying to cater to each little voice, it's how do we allow for all of that to exist? And the people who want bagels, go buy your fighter bagel. That's what a stipend's for. That's great. Keep everyone Um, happy. I want to transition a little bit to your transition when you went from like being the CFO or being the COO and, and, you know, managing someone else's vision to really being the CEO and jumping in and building your own, like bring us back. Like, what was that like? What did that feel like when you started Compt? Some of it was, I mean, it was, it was a progression. It wasn't quite as kind of stair step change. I knew through my last couple of roles as CFO and COO that this was the trajectory I was heading because I'd been doing the research on this exact problem. And I knew I needed this tool to solve for that compensation piece. So I wasn't going to be able to scale another company without solving this problem somehow. So it was gradual over time for the move to, all right, now I'm going to go start a company. Once I started it, parts of it were very comfortable. I've been fundraising for my entire career. I've done, at this point, I'm 23, 24 years into my career, and I've done a round of funding every year for 20, like all but one year. This will be my (laughs) first year off in my entire career where I haven't fundraised. So Wow, that's wild. It's a delightful breather. You need a Um, t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> need a drink is what I need. I need a cocktail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like that part was very familiar with me. I've got a finance background. So building models and figuring out the business model and pricing and all that. And I'm the buyer. So figuring out the buyer journey, also something that I was comfortable with. It was new, but I was comfortable with it. The piece that was the biggest transition for me uh, and one I didn't anticipate was how much I'd have to change my voice. And so me coming in as a CFO or a COO, next to a founder. So always kind of board mandated, hey, we raised a round, make sure the founder doesn't go spend all the cash type of a role. My job was to make sure, literally that was the role, uh, and figure out how we scale and all Well, board mandated, just don't (laughs) screw this up royally, okay? Thanks. Well, well, I mean, it's literally a dual hire because a CFO reports to both the board and the CEO. You've got two bosses there, which gets very interesting over time. Um, But with that, it was 
trying to make sure that you didn't inhibit the CEO's vision because they had some amazing vision that got them this far, but then helping to translate it to how you scale and build a business that goes beyond the things that don't scale, which is what happens in the early years. And a lot of times those ideas are a little off the wall as most founders need to be to be able to get where they are. So I had to spend a lot of time being very loud and pushing back on these very opinionated and rightly so founders. And so I pushed a lot. Whereas when I came into my own company, if I do that, I bulldoze right over the top of the entire team and nobody has a voice anymore. And so I had to really take it down about 20 notches so that other ideas could be heard because that's critical to us building the best product and the best process and the best everything. It can't just be me driving it. So instead of being the push, I had to take a quieter role, which was pretty refreshing for me to not be like fighting the fight every day. Um, it's been quite a delight. And also just hearing how many amazing ideas these amazing people I work with have. Yeah. You know, you're, you're touching on something that's really in like, I don't know that most people understand this dynamic of having the CFO who is responsible for the numbers and like trying to make sure like you're hitting the certain profitability level or growth level or what have you, or the funding across the business is being right. like calibrated properly, the CEO. And it's interesting. Cause you say, you know, it's like, you need to take a step back and like hear for more ideas. Right. Cause I think like the caricature of a CEO is often not that right. It's like, Big, bold ideas. You do my vision. Like, let's go. Right. Yeah, that's 100%. Those are not the best companies. I mean, if you just let a CEO run rampant. I mean, I did that. There was one button. I was insistent the engineering team build. And I was like, this is the most important button. And literally no one used it. And they're like, well, yeah. thank you for that. I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to my lane. Yeah. Leave y'all alone. <laughs> that's correct. But I mean, I'd seen that happen and without even being intentional, honestly, from prior CEOs where they would just walk through a room, have a random musing come out of their mouth and it would derail an entire team's roadmap. Yep. They did not intend for that to happen, yeah. but that's what happens when you speak as a CEO, people listen. And so I have to be very, very mindful of that instead of the, the push to make sure that we don't run out of money, don't die, don't run off a cliff, which was you know, my prior job. I mean, I relate to this and it's an interesting thing because it took me a long time to figure out how to harness it properly mm -hmm. because at first in the early days, you're in the thick of it. And I'm sure you feel like this. You're just like sitting next to everyone at the table. Right. It doesn't feel that different. Like we're just all people. We're just, we're sitting at the table working. Like we're just building, right? Like right. An, an idea exactly. can come from anywhere. And there's this mo there's moments in the business when the team size changes enough that people's relation to you changes a lot. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you don't realize that's happened. At least that's what happened to me. I was like, oh, wait, like I'm throwing out ideas. I'm like, not We're expecting. brainstorming here. We're brainstorming, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what we do. And then people were just like, no, we're doing yeah. it because you said it. And then you're like, oh, uh-oh, this, right. this is a mistake. Or like I've th thrown this team completely off. Yep. Um, and then the other thing that eventually became clear to me was like the power of the modeling of yeah. like how you want people to show up is like how you have to show up. And if you yep. actually Absolutely. do that, that scales better than many, many processes. Like you want a process to work, like you actually, you do it yourself. And yep. if, if you don't, it doesn't go. That's exactly <laughs> right. You can have a manual for everything, but if you aren't modeling that behavior, it'll never happen within a team. And yeah. so we run actually very process light here compared to some of my prior companies, uh, which is 
a little bit odd for CFO. We do love some process and we, we have process and want to make sure things get done, but I don't have like an expense manual. I don't have, you know, some of the things that you would expect with teams that travel because I'm like, look, I could build the very thick deck of all the things yeah. you should or shouldn't do. But if I treat you with respect and treat you like an adult and you see how I behave, I will stay in a worse place than anyone on my team. I won't actually let my team stay in the nasty places that I'm willing to stay because yeah. I'm a cheap founder and I want my money to go to things that scale oh, the business. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> I want the money to go to other things. But they see that it's not me saying, oh, well, I'm special. I get to fly business. I'm special. I get a better hotel. And you get a notch below that. Because what happens is then the middle manager, their power comes from having that little bit better than everyone else. And it trickles down. And it's like, what a waste of energy. Like, let's just do this a little differently. Totally. Yeah, it's funny. I think about a moment that, uh, Sylvia, you can tell me. I've, I don't think I've said this before, but I used to have this feeling. like, So we raised angel money. Uh, in 2008, 2010, we hired two people in 2008 and we first great year, by the way. Oh, great year. Great <laughs> I'm year. having Fantastic some triggering year. moments yeah, right yeah, yeah. now. <laughs> uh, it was right before everything went sour. Yeah. Um, and we had plans of getting up to like 10 people by the end of the year, right. but we just stayed at four, yeah. you know, we like yeah, let that start. Yeah. But my co-founder, Brent and I had been working out of this like 10 person house in Cambridge before this. And so we lived in that house. We worked the house. So go, going to work was just like walking down the hall. Right. And did I dress up to do that? No. Was I super early every day? No. And then we raised money. And um, our goal was to beat the other two people to the office once we got an office. So Brent and I would like dress up and, you know, wear like collared shirts. And we were just yep. like idiots. We got a really cheap office, but it was far away from where we lived. So it was like we were commuting with traffic. It was so stupid. We get up so early to beat these guys to the office to try to set an example or something. Yeah. But it took me a long time to like give myself the freedom that I wanted right. other people to have, you know, right. where I would like be like, well, it's five o'clock or maybe it's four o'clock. Um, now I'm fast forwarding. We're like 50 people on the team or something. It's four o'clock. I don't have anything to do right now. Like I've done all the main things I need to do. Like I might need to think about stuff or read something. I mean, randomly talk. But I don't have a thing that I have to deliver on. Right. Should I go home? Should I stay? And I would always stay, always stay until... I had my first kid and then I was like, what am I doing? Right. There's like this alternative to my time that is, makes me more fulfilled to spend time with my kids, gives me more energy. And I last time I would do a sacrifice that over the long term. So it was like, I'm an idiot. And if me staying at the office later is going to be what makes it work, like then we have a problem. Yeah. You got a much bigger issue if that's the issue. Yeah. And it was like, it was really freeing to realize that and yeah. to be like, of course I would want that for somebody else. And then like, without really saying anything, it shifted, you know, right. and people got more outcome focused and we started measuring things differently. And yep. it was like, wasn't about the time and like that you were there it was like about what you produced. And then ultimately that was incredibly helpful when we went remote. I'm not trying to take all the credit for that at all. The million people worked on that, but like it made it so that it was like, okay, remote, it's about trust. It's about flexibility right. and it's about outcomes and it's just managing the outcomes. And like, if you do that, it doesn't really matter how people the rest are doesn't matter. Time. That's exactly yeah. right. I think it's, it's interesting. Like that, I think is one of the, the blessings of having parents on the team. I don't have kids. Um, and I'm in my mid forties and don't plan on having children, but all of my teams had some component of parents. And what I found was that the early stage teams that were, you know, in their twenties, early thirties, didn't have children. Most of my teams were very homogenous, you know, very MIT white guy engineer centric. Mm -hmm 
they didn't start having that sh- culture shift until people started having children. And those people started having children. They're like, oh, oh, it was like an awakening for yeah. a lot of the folks that I worked with. And that's been something where I wanted to design for that early because it made it easier to hire those people early. Yep. And we could get different talent. And that's been like, it was a shift for me as well, because again, I don't have kids. Like I can, yeah. I, I can get a lot of sleep that my coworkers do not get. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so making sure I create space for that and recognize that my way of working and my hours are going to be a little different from theirs because of that is okay. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's another form of diversity, right? And exactly. I think it's like, it is. this is an example where you can change the class that you're in and yep. most you can't. And I think yep. like, that's why the inclusivity is so important, I think is so that you have to be hyper aware of how other people feel, or at least exactly. not, not hyper aware, very aware. And the benefit is you end up operating better and making better decisions. Right. You know, that's like, that's where you get to. Not putting your own, like my limit, if I put my limitations on somebody who has children, like we've got some amazing power moms on this team who I honestly have no idea how they get done what they get done because I couldn't actually do that. If I didn't have the amount of sleep that I have with no children, I would cease to function. If I put my limitations on them and assume that they are going to operate at that level, I'm going to be inhibiting them because quite frankly, they've got way more ability to execute on some things than I would on their, like the way they've designed their lives. So it's allowing people to have those differently designed lives and recognizing if you're measuring and working towards outcomes, like drop off, pick up, like five-year-olds are not hitchhiking. Of course, parents have to pick up their children, deal with it. It just is what it is. And so allowing for them to work in a different fashion just makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I, I also feel like it's like, if that's the difference between successes and failures, like someone had to be away for like 30 minutes, like I and mean, then, then you, have a, you have a bigger problem. So yep, it's, that's exactly right. It's, it's also like, I think how long-term focused are you? It's like, how much are you yep. investing in your people? Yep. And obviously there's a lot of incredible people who then have little kids and then they have trouble sleeping whatever, and then their kids figure out how to sleep and they figure it out. And then right. they, you know it's what I mean? All a transition. Exactly. Um, well, look, bring us back a little bit too. So you saw this difference in how you had to show up mm-hmm. and being like more flexible. We're talking about modeling and what's one of my favorite things to talk about. It's like how to lead in this way. Are there other things that you saw that were really different or surprising or things that you would tell yourself if you were starting the business again today with the knowledge you have, is there something you would definitely do again or do more or do less? Both. Okay. Uh, so the, the do more of, I came in with a lot of compensation philosophies and kind of workplace philosophies from my six prior startups. And there's a lot of that that I would absolutely continue doing and do again. So things like from day one, I said, we're measuring to outcomes that assume you're working 40 to 45 hours a week, period, end of story, cool. which is very counter to every startup ever. Um, and I actually got in a very heated not quite cage match, but not far from it with a VC on a panel one night in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you're going to fail. And I was like, I'll see you in 10 years, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, look, if people are working 120 hours a week, they're going to write some buggy sh- code, quite frankly. And so let's not do that. Let's have people who can bring critical reasoning skills and think through, we're in a problem solving stage here. We don't have a repeatable process. I need their brains fully engaged, not just fighting fires. And so from day one, we did that. And I think that's been 
part of our ability to scale the way we have, but also be very capital efficient because we haven't made a bunch of mistakes. You know, a lot of startups burn through their first five million and then go, oh, now I figured some things out and have to go back to the well. We didn't do that. We don't have the luxury to do that, quite frankly, as a female, you know, lesbian founded company. We are going to be getting tiny little sliver of that pie. We got to make it last. And so that I would do again. Um, And so that's been great. Things I would do differently. I didn't trust myself enough on the sales side. I'm a trained COO, I'm a trained CFO, you know, I'm the numbers person and the modeling person and the risk management person and all those things. But there were a lot of voices, um, including some of my own head saying, but you're not a salesperson and you don't know what a sales process is. So you should not do this and you should hire for the things you're not good at. And I did that repeatedly and have fallen on my face every single time because I'm selling to myself. (laughs) This is my buyer. I do know my buyer. I do know what I want. I do know how to find me and approach me. And so when I started doing that is when the business took off. And so I wish I had done that earlier and just trusted that I knew what I was doing um, instead of assuming there was some magic pill that somebody who had read, you know, the challenger sale was going to to solve. Yeah, I hear you on that. I feel like it's so easy to think that, you know, you have to hire someone who's like, quote, done it, and they're going to have the answer. And I think it's like, actually, the truth is every single business is different. And the customer and exactly what they want and need is different. And if you, if you try to do it yourself, you at least understand the pain, and you understand maybe what's working. And when I I mean, we've been doing Wistia 17 years. And when I look back on the moments that have been like the most successful periods of time, it is when we are most actively using our product and understand the pain of the customer. And living and breathing it. I mean, we use obviously our own software because it's how we manage that part of the compensation where we're interacting with. And I'm the one who's still processing payroll. So I am the one who is taking, I'm managing this on the administrator side. So I understand exactly that I'm like, I wish that button did something different. And so it just, it changes that. And that means that every single person on this team is a user and has their own unique experience with how this is helping or not helping them and has feedback. And so it's not a, hey, everybody sit down, do bug testing. Hey, everybody play with the software. It's impacting their lives. Yeah, Yeah. it's part of how you get your compensation. So you get different feedback. So we use Wistia a ton internally. Um, I use it a ton, but we basically have, you know, like our support admin mode that you can get into to help customers. So Mm -hmm. you can like get into their account and help them. And by default, people at Wistia had that access. And then of course, what that meant is that like, there was a lot of things where we weren't feeling certain we were getting around the pain that some of our customers feel. And so just advice for anyone who's out there, like use the actual version your customers are using because like, if you don't like you can, if you have the like slight admin privilege, you can get away with not feeling like sometimes the friction of pain or like an email, not looking good or whatever. And it's, it's a mistake that we made here that we've remedied. So just quick call out on that. Love that. Okay, um, I have a rapid fire segment that I want to do. So I am going to ask you five questions. Each one you can just try to do like, you know, your one sentence answer or one word or whatever. And if we screw it up and it's horrible, we won't release it. But I think it's going to be great. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. So first question of the rapid fire segment. What is your go-to karaoke song? or morning pump-up jam? Ooh. Honest answer, karaoke is a better have my money by Rihanna. (laughs) There you go. 
And I was a CFO this, for a long time. I did a lot of collections. <laughs> this is why we do the rapid Tom fire knows. segment. This is, I'm actually blushing. It takes a lot to make me yeah. blush. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Okay. Um, what is the best book you've read on leadership? Ooh, best book on leadership. Um, there's a book called Disrupted by Dr. Patty Fletcher that Ooh. talks about how female founders disrupt in the market that has been really impactful and powerful. Awesome. Um, CEOs should borrow this skill set from CFOs. Ooh. I risk aversion to some extent, just to temper their own going over a cliff sensibilities that <laughs> yeah. the risk tolerance could be brought down a little bit. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Um, employers should double down on this in 2023. Employee personalization. That's how you're going to hire and retain folks. Perfect. A positive work culture needs to have blank. Transparency. I love it. That was a great rapid fire. Not bad. I, like I can't it. believe I let it off with the karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> um, Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is great. Um, like, I love talking to you about like personalizing these benefits and how to do that and how to think about that. And also like good luck today with the legislation. Like it's really important work. And it, I mean, I had no idea you're doing that today. So it's, that's awesome. That you're going to do that. Um, where can people best connect with you to learn more? Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, the web. So comp.io has lots of information. They can email me at amy at comp.io. I'm always happy to chat or Amy Sperling on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on Talking Too Loud. Thanks so much. You know, it's interesting to chat with someone who's been going through this transition of like, be, you know, being the COO and, or the CFO and even just having to say no all the time. It's not something you hear that much about. And so it really like struck me that that was one of those big changes she saw as she jumped into the CEO role. Yeah. I mean, also just like going from CEO, CFO, where she was like, I totally relate to what you're saying, but I can't give you what you want to then like building a whole company around saying yes like what a i don't know what a mind shift like that's like the transition from cfo to ceo but also going from being a no woman to a yes woman yeah like that's got to feel pretty good yeah and it, i mean even just the way that she saw that opportunity and knew it was real right like there's a bunch of things in that it's like well you see that people are spending money on this. You see how they're spending money. You see the decision-making process. You're proving to yourself across these different businesses that the opportunity exists. And she's like, well, I just have to do this because I can't, I can't say no anymore. And this stuff is like very cool because I think a lot of times, you know, we're working our day to day or you're doing a job and you see an opportunity to improve something. And actually you have the budget or you see the budget next to you and like, you could see the pain and, and that's what it looks like. Like that's what finding an opportunity looks like. It's like seeing something that people spend time and money and effort on and just translating that into a solution that makes sense. And so it was just really cool to, to hear how she saw that too, right? Because I feel like a lot of people, they see things that they're annoyed with or 
they are having to say no, or they're not being able to do something. It's like, why? It seems so obvious. Like, why aren't we fixing that? I was like, well, that that's what entrepreneurship is about, right? It's about finding those opportunities and going after them. So I love that she broke that down for us. Totally. And also like personalization is everywhere these days. Like that is, that is what people crave. And it's just funny that like, I, I'd never like really connected the dots between like, personalization and like HR employee benefits, which is like exactly where personalization makes the most sense. Do you know what I mean? But it just mm-hmm. seems like such a, I don't know what the word is. It's a scenario that has not had that. That, ha- yet, that right? hasn't had that. Exactly. Yeah, that's, yes. that's how I felt. I was like, and that's why I asked that question about, do people not like seeing the actual dollar values versus the perks? Because one of the things about the perks, I think, at least as they've been pitched to me over the years, is like, oh, well, people will value free lunch more than the cost of free lunch, right? Like if you just gave them the dollars. But I do think another big shift because of COVID is the relation to work has shifted. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it is interesting because even just like, yeah, I want to know how much it costs. I want, and I don't want you to waste the money for me. If you're going to give me the benefit, let me, let me have control. Like it makes sense because that also seems like a trend of the direction that we're going. A hundred percent. Yeah, well, look, that was a fun one. So um, excited that Amy came on here. And uh, for those of you who are big Talking Too Loud fans, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. Um, and if you are a big fan, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. That really helps other people find it. Let us know how you feel about the rapid fire segment. Yes, let us know about how you feel about rapid fire. Um, if you want to connect with Sylvia or I, we are both on Twitter. I am C. Savage. Sylvia is Give Me the Loot. But we're spending more of our time these days on LinkedIn. So find us on LinkedIn. And finally, if you have feedback, questions, guest suggestions, you want to pitch someone to be on the show, you want to pitch an industry for us to go find someone to interview, please email ttlpod at wistia.com. And that is it. Until next time. See you soon, everyone. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.